Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to continue what we were talking about last week. This, The word that Jesus used, which I believe is one of the key words to facing up to the reality of the grace of God. When asked concerning salvation, Jesus said, with men it is impossible. And the result was in the disciples, it says they were astonished and they were amazed. Words which mean, they're very strong words, to be knocked out of your senses is the exact meaning of the word. And added to that is the idea of fear or terror because suddenly they realize that all of their formulas, their recipes, their tries and their aspirations to gain salvation were flushed down the toilet. It's impossible. And you are left only with the act of God. For Jesus went on to say, with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. So I want to now ask the question, so what what is so impossible about this life what what is it that makes this life utterly impossible for the human and i want to read uh, and you know this very well but let's read it anyway from john chapter 13 and verse 34 it's the beginning of that conversation that took place in the upper room which introduces us to the new covenant. And here in verse 34 of chapter 13 of John, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It is by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And there you have it. What I have just read, that's the most impossible words that you've probably ever heard. And the trouble is we skate over it and in some cases totally ignore it. But here it stands. Essentially, the only command that Jesus gave And we avoid it, we go around it, instead of looking at it face on, realizing it is utterly impossible. And then, as I said last week, you snuggle down into that blanket of impossible. You go to rest, you stop your trying, you free fall into the grace of God. You see, the Old Testament... um, It introduced to the world of mankind something that was totally alien to them, love. Um, It's hard to look sometimes at the Old Testament and realize that. 
But if you read carefully through the Old Testament, the great command, in, in fact, it falls into two, if you remember. The first is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then the remainder of the Ten Commandments summed up as that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that was the ultimate of the Ten Commandments. It was the ultimate of the law of Moses, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. But now in the New Testament, when God himself comes to us in the Lord Jesus, this blows our minds out. He says, no longer love your neighbor as yourself, but love one another as I have loved you. Do, do, do you hear me? This isn't merely that the standard is not that I love my neighbor as I love myself. No, no, no. I love now as I am being divinely loved. No wonder Jesus said, this is a new commandment new and it is that word that we've talked about before but especially at this point let me say it again this means new in kind that is it's it's new in its character or maybe the negative it is not merely the latest in a series that is it's not the latest of the same this is, what can I say? It is not an upgrade to the Ten Commandments. This takes us where we've never been before. It, it is speaking of love, but love that's new in kind. It's new in character. It is not merely the latest in a long series of attempts to love. This is not simply the new car sitting in your driveway. That's the latest of a long series of cars since uh, the Model T. But th this is a, this in, if I use the word there, it will be a new form of transport. It would be something you'd never dreamed of, never imagined, that you'd stare at with mouth wide open. That's this word, new. New. There's another word to describe the latest and the, the, the mere upgrade from the last edition. There's another word for that. This one means it's never been seen before. It has never been imagined before. This is outside of everything that human beings can think. A new commandment. You've never heard anything like this. That's what he's saying. And of course it is echoed by that verse from the book of the prophet Isaiah, which is then quoted in 1 Corinthians 2. You remember, Isaiah said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it's never entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And that's where he stopped, because that's where it stood at that moment. Isaiah has come to the end of speech. He said, I, I can't tell you, this is beyond. He, he said, when we look back and we see what God has done, and then we try to imagine what things he has in store for those who love, and he stops. He says, my eyes have never seen it, my ears have never taken it in, there's no place in my file of my mind in which to put this. 
beyond me. But in 1 Corinthians 2, he quotes that. He quotes it in the New Testament now. And he says, yes, eye has not seen, he has not, is never entered into the heart of man, cannot be comprehended by human flesh. But God has now revealed that to us by the Holy Spirit. He has taken us into the new. He has taken us to the edge of thought and pushed us over. That, that's what impossible is. It's beyond me. I, I can't. It's too hard for me. And I stand there teetering, wishing for something else rather than this that yawns before me as a great precipice. I, I, I can't handle this. And then I free fall in the Holy Spirit and realize it's all the gift of God. Love one another. As I have loved you. Jesus is the first human to reveal this kind of love. Hear me very carefully. Jesus is God who has entered into, assumed to himself, our humanity. And in our humanity, he lived this divine love. This love was now brought down into our human level. You could say he transposed the divine love to human level. Did you understand? We can say God is love. And, and, and you could talk about that in the abstract, I suppose, if you were a theologian. But, but the, the glorious message of the entire Bible is that God doesn't want to be in the abstract. He refuses to be God up there beyond us. He has come to us. He has joined himself to us in that he actually took to himself our humanity and that love that is beyond words has now been transposed down into our little human limited boundary lives in Jesus. God has now come to sing the song of his love at a level that we can now understand and we can see and through the Holy Spirit can be joined into that love. Did you get this? He is saying, you love one another as I have loved you. This divine love that has been transposed in Jesus into our human lives is now, he said, going to be put into you. And so he is the prototype. Jesus is the prototype. He is the origin of this love in humans. He's the source of this love in humans. He is going to give us, through the Holy Spirit, He's going to put this love into us to bring forth a new race that is characterized by love. By the way, that's the gospel, you see. That's the gospel according to the scripture. It isn't that you accept Jesus and merely go to heaven when you die. It is that you have been accepted into him and he now puts himself through the Spirit into you 
And the result is a new creation, a new race, a new humanity. And they are stamped by this mark that they love one another, even as they are loved by the Father in and through Jesus. It's the same word, you see, the, the new, same word as I just talked about. New, you've never seen a covenant like this. It's a new covenant. It's a new creation. Not merely the old life updated. This is new. It comes out of the tomb, resurrection. That this, we, we say we've been born again. It's a new birth. We are born into the very Trinity family. You see, religion has taught us that Jesus is an example for us to follow. And so they look at him as the ideal and we struggle and we sweat and we try and we promise and we rededicate in order to try and be like him. He's an example for us. But the New Testament says, in effect, he's an example of us. He's the prototype. He brought this love into this world, and now the Spirit brings that into us, and so he's an example of us. And we spend the rest of the New Testament saying, for us to live is Christ in us. I mean, can this get any simpler? That we are joined into Jesus, and we live this life. His life of love. Uh, the context here, if, if we read the verses just around it, verse 31, um, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. That's quite a mouthful. But let me say simply, glorify um, it, it means that he will be shown for who he really is. And, and therefore it says that, that right, at, at, he said immediately, it's happening right now, that God is going to be glorified, glorified in him, in Jesus, and, and Jesus will be glorified by the Father. That is, we will finally see the heart of God, as Jesus goes to carry us with him into death and resurrection. And we shall see this love. We shall see the love of God. We shall see his goal. And we shall stand back in awe and amazement. We shall see the Father glorified in such a plan. And we see Jesus glorified in the carrying out of that plan. And the end goal of that is this, that we should be united to the love of God and that we should be the love of God in the earth. That's what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. That is, the goal has been achieved. And now we'll all see the Father's plan and now we shall see the wonder of Jesus living his life in us. For the finished meant that the Holy Spirit would now come. And in Acts chapter 2, he came and very vividly, with, with 
incredible words it shows how the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside the believer this is who you are was I talking too fast was it like standing in front of a fire hydrant (laughs) the gospel is that you through Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit comes into you unites you with Jesus and Jesus is one with the Father you are brought into this trinity of love and by sheer grace and gift that love is poured out inside of you and the impossible to my human now becomes possible because the Holy Spirit the possible of God is within me now you see the Lord's Prayer is no longer just some mystical fiction when we say that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven now heaven has come into us through the Holy Spirit we, we become a community of persons wherein the Holy Spirit, the love of God, dwells. And we become that love of God in the earth. Look, you you can read it at length in in 1 John, in chapter 4, verse 15, and just keep reading. And you will find there this, this total concept that is the gospel, that we dwell in God and God dwells in us and we are loving our neighbor, our brother, the world with his love. That's the totality of the gospel and right smack in the middle of it, it says the words that as Jesus is, so are we in the world. The very identity of Jesus in us, in the world. We are, says Paul in another place, we are his body. He's the head, we his body. Where he is, we are. Where we are, he is. And he is in us, bringing forth this life of love, the love of God. And he said it's a new command. Now we've got to stop there, just for a bit anyway, because it is it is a new command. It's new, of course, as we've just said, in content that, that carries us into a heavenly dimension with our feet planted firmly on earth. But also the very idea of command has taken on a new idea. When we say the word command, I find that most people will think in terms of a superior giving orders to an inferior. And usually when we think of the commands of God, listen to me very carefully, as I have conversed with so many, the idea that we have is that he has commanded us to try to be what we're not. Do you hear me? We, we tend to look at, at the life that is described in the scripture and we just shake our heads and say, but that's not me. And yet God is commanding us to do it. And in our minds, it's a superior barking his orders to us. 
And we've got to try and be what in our hearts we know we're not. That's why we drag our feet. That, that's why we limit uh, our Christianity to a, an hour on Sunday morning, because we say, that's not me. And, and I can make all the promises in, in that one hour, but it doesn't work out because in my head I'm saying, that's not me. Well, yeah, maybe that would be true if we merely had something like the Ten Commandments and it would be glaring down at you with its commands and you're saying, this isn't really me, but I do my best. But this word command, let, let me give you at least the new covenant understanding of what a command is. First of all, it is a goal, a destiny, shall I say, that has been implanted in us by God the Holy Spirit. Or to put it another way, we have a thought of the mind of God inside of us we have in fact a desire an intention of God implanted within us that becomes a new desire of ours a new direction that we are being turned toward did you hear me It's an implanting. It's not out here somewhere. The Holy Spirit implants within us the desire of God for us, but that desire becomes our desire. We're aware of a turning of our wants toward that, a turning of an inner necessity toward that. It is putting within us a new direction of life, or to say a a new end, a new goal, a new destiny. And that new is radically new in kind and character. And and it's because we have passed through the death of Jesus, we have died to the flesh, we have died to everything that old mankind lived by the self for self that now it's new. This is not the way my ancient ancestors lived. I am being drawn to something and my heart resonates with it. And yes, indeed, it's stepping into the reality. I'm dead to all of that past, but I am alive and I'm alive to this newness of life, which this inner word is directing and calling me to. I hope that makes sense. Which, of course, is followed by the word obedience. You cannot use the word command without obedience. And obedience is that love response of trust that listens to what love is saying and to respond to that with joyful intention of aligning my heart and aligning my behavior to that implanted goal, and to do so all in the enablement and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Probably I have to think about that for a while, because we've got this idea, the command from a God who's up and away and high, and it 
thunders down and we've got to cower and try and do it. Instead, by his Holy Spirit, through Jesus, he's implanted the command within us. And the Holy Spirit enables us now. We, we listen to that and we, there's an inner resonating yes and with joyful trust that this is the way of life. We align ourselves to that. Aligning. You know, um, aligning, that, that is the best word I can, can think of. But I mean, it's got all the other ideas of no separation and union. We become one. I, I was thinking of this, <clears throat> and, and, and as I, I was stepping on into an airplane, you know how that thing goes out and you step in, in inside the airplane and, and I saw the fuselage of the airplane and, and there was this massive door and, and saw the intricacies of its locking system and then because I sat at the front I watched finally as the air hostess she, she pulled the door and it locked and I knew that outside it, it was seamless I mean, there was no possibility for what was happening inside the plane in terms of the air and the pressure to be affected by what was outside. The door was completely one with the fuselage of the plane. It had locked in. They had become one. And, and although the door was not the fuselage, the fuselage not the door, yet they were seamlessly one. I don't know, it meant a lot to me at the time. But that that's what I'm saying. That obedience is how that door fits into the fuselage. It aligns with it. It becomes one with it. We listen. This is not a passive. This is the gift has been given and we respond with the power of the Spirit. We join with we walk in line with, in alignment with. We are taking that thought of God, that desire of God, that goal of God, and we're translating it into our lives in the power of the Spirit. This new command, he says, I'm putting into you something that you've never known before. I'm implanting also the desire to do it, and I'm giving you the power to implement it. A new command. Jesus had already described his own life in these words. He said he, he, he lived his whole life, his words, his works. He received, you remember, at the Father's command. And he delighted to do that command. His whole life was living by an inner word from the Father. And doing so in the power and enablement of the Holy Spirit. Look, this is what the Old Testament prophets said the new, of the new covenant would be. Do you remember those words in Ezekiel 36? He First of all, he said, I'm going to scrub you clean. Do you remember that? He said, I'll wash you. I put clean water and I'll wash you clean from all your filthiness and idols and the corruption of sin. But then he said that he would put his spirit in us 
And the Holy Spirit in us would cause us to have a new core. It says a, a heart of flesh that is one that, that is soft. Heart of flesh that is a working heart. Instead, he said, of the heart of stone, you've got otherwise. So I'll put a new core in you. And, and that will, the Holy Spirit within you in that core will cause you to walk in my ways. There will be an inner desire, an inner working out of my purpose. And Jeremiah said it, uh, speaking of the same thing, he said, I will write my law on your heart. That is no, not commands out here, but the Holy Spirit would actually write it into our core. So it would be from within us, and it would not really be looked upon as the old ways of commands, but rather a new want to, a new desire rising within to respond to the love of God. See, it's as I have loved you, the way he lived this life, the way he hammered out his obedience and trust in the Father, in all his human relationships and circumstance, we now participate in that incredible life of Jesus, life of love. I, I, I hope you're getting this, that when Jesus said, love one another as I love you, he was not saying, have a jolly good try at this. He was not saying that this is anything human. Please, it's impossible. Will you get used to that? Get used to the fact this whole thing is utterly impossible. And um, that, that's a great weight taken off my shoulders. No need to answer all those silly appeals anymore because it's impossible. You don't go and promise I'm going to try to do this when he's already told you it's impossible. This, is, this word enables me to rest in this rest of grace. You see, it takes God to love God. Do you get that? It takes God to love God, and it takes God to love your fellow humans. <laughs> it really does. If you don't realize that, maybe you've never even considered loving them. Um, see, the, this love that Jesus is speaking of, it's divine love. It's got nothing to do with hormones and chemistry. It isn't that you have these wonderful, happy feelings toward people. It's nice if you happen to, but they come and they go. But uh, it's not that. It's not. It's not a. It's it's not a, a physical chemistry. Nor is it part of your personality. You know, some people that they're, they're sort of loving and gentle and peaceful just by their personality. Um, it's again, you're going back to chemistry, to genes, and to whatever. Nothing to do with that. All of that passes through the cross, is buried with Christ. This is what comes out of the tomb. This is new. This is our participating in the love and the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to love one another as he has loved us. Uh, and this, you see, is, again I said this is the goal, this is the end toward which 
Everything has been moving. It's why Jesus came. It was the intention of the Father, Son, and Spirit before there was creation. And, and so we, we've got to get rid of the idea that Jesus came merely to do away with our sins. I say merely. Obviously, that is incredibly glorious, fantastic. Yes. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. And John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, yes, yes. But John the Baptist also said that Jesus had, as the completion of his mission, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit, with fire. Baptize. And when we talk of Holy Spirit, we mustn't think of that as some great experience for the elite, some deeper life. The Bible says, Romans 8 and 9, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. This is is the new birth. This is what happens when we are plunged into the very life of Jesus. Jesus plunges us into an ocean of the Holy Spirit presence and power. In Romans 5 and 5 it says, The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. See, this word baptize, baptize means in its original language that you are plunged into the water uh, but you don't come out. That's, that's baptism. The word baptizo, baptism, it means a, a ship has sunk and it sits now on the bottom of the ocean and therefore the sea is in the ship and the ship is in the sea. And in the days of the New Testament, they would say the ship has been baptized. There it sits at the bottom of the ocean in another environment, an environment of water. Jesus shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is, he's going to plunge you into the environment of the Holy Spirit, his person, his presence. And everything that you do will be from his presence and power. Pour out the love of God. This is where that happens. The Holy Spirit pours this love out. One translation of that, he ignites the love of God within us. Another, which I I like very much, is that the love of God cascades through our life. That, That would be a good description. We were at Niagara Falls one time on the Canadian side, and Nancy had a moment of seeing, shall I say, as she looked at those great falls, and it was a time when they were at a high peak level and the water pouring over, and, and, and then the mist that arose from those falls until we were all enveloped in the mist, and it was almost as if we're in the middle of the falls, and she thought of this verse. And it's true, it happens to be the very meaning of the Greek word. Uh, and she said it. She said, we're, we're, be, we're in the cascade of God's love. There it is. Another translation is, <clears throat> he poured in a gush, uh, as if this, this great gush 
uh, of the Holy Spirit and love is shed forth so that now it floods within our hearts, permeating the core of our being through the Holy Spirit. I am speaking about you. This is what happens when your eyes were opened to realize your acceptance into Jesus, realize the love of God towards you. It's the Holy Spirit who achieved that in you. Galatians 5.22, it speaks of this love and said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, not the fruit of our struggle, not the fruit of all our rededications, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in Colossians 1, he speaks of patience and long-suffering, which are the two words that sum up the experience of our loving. And it says that patience and long-suffering come because of the extreme power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So, what, what can I say? This is you. I know what my, my hesitation tonight is because I know what so many of you have been taught. On the one hand, that you've got to try and get it out of your own flesh, own strength. On the other hand, we've been taught the Holy Spirit, but taught that he, He's, you know, as I say again, it's for the elite, it's not for the common fellow on the street. No, no, no. He's got to go through much. Uh, seeking and giving stuff up and he's got to go through a lot of purification and all that other, you know, begging, pleading, howling, whining, praising, whatever, uh, in order to arrive there. And it will be this experience beyond all experience when he will finally get the Holy Spirit. Until then, of course, he's incomplete. He's only got Jesus, uh, but now he's got the Holy Spirit. Whereas the New Testament says, you are born of the Spirit. And, and it tells us if you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. And, and, and so when you first came to know Jesus, that's when the Holy Spirit, who had been leading you to Jesus, now comes into you. And He comes in and begins implementing this new life begins fashioning you to see who you are in Christ and to be the person you are in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. Do, Do you understand that when religion has taught you that that isn't so, that you are not that, and it's some mighty experience up ahead one of these days, and of course people who believe that, when they have that, experience which many times is a valid experience of the spirit but they feel they've they've got it and that's it they got it never whereas what i'm saying is the holy spirit comes into you this gentle good kind person ultimate person god himself inside of you loving you embracing you dancing with you dancing over you living your life with you it's a relationship it is to be developed to known to wake up in the morning and know the holy spirit has been watching over you all night 
Holy Spirit had could hardly wait till you woke up so he could live life with you today. And he, the Holy Spirit, is the one who pours out this love. He is the one who brings into us the life of Jesus. It's in this fellowship that you are made strong, you are empowered, you're freed from the fear of people, you're released to love, even as you have been and are being loved. Love one another as I have loved you. And later on in this conversation uh, of Jesus with the disciples, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And there's a lot I could say about that, which will be another day, I'm sure. But notice at least the, the base line of that text. If you love me, keep my commandments. There is something abroad today that misses that. And I I want you to hear me carefully because I, I don't want to be misunderstood. That our response to the love of God toward us is to love one another. Right? Isn't that... Jesus gave a command, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Further on, if you love me, keep my command that I just gave you. If I would love Jesus, he is saying that I love my fellow human. But as I said, there's something abroad today that skirts around that. And... Again, I want you to understand this that I'm talking about is it is we 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 try to send that love that Jesus gives to us. We send it back in praise and worship. And this is why I'm hesitating, because don't misquote me. That is beautiful and wonderful, except with the persons I'm talking about to them. It's a mystical U-turn. That is, he pours out all those words I just read, a cascade of the love of God, that which ignites love within us, that that gush of the love of God through the Holy Spirit to us and in us. As if there is this gigantic hose through which the water of life, love, is pouring. And we somehow think, we try to make that do a U-turn and gush back to God as we give. We say, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Um, There's something wrong with that. You see, this vital, this glorious expression of love in praise and worship, the most vital part of that is in loving one another. If I will love Jesus, it isn't just singing and praising him. It is in taking that love, that hose, and directing it to the persons around me. And so, he first loved us. And because he first loved us, we now love. And that loving others is a vital part of our loving him. And walking in praise and worship 
Now I can sing my songs of love to him. Now I can tell him in praise and worship all my love for him. But I, the, one John makes it so plain that unless I am in the act of letting his love that is toward me flow through me to others, then I'm all out of sync, all out of sync. It is love that aligns with his commands. And now we walk together in love harmony. He in his love for me, now his love in me, now his love through me. We love one another from him who loves us. And in that fashion, it returns to him in praise and worship. And we now in a richer, fuller, praise and worship and singing to him i hope you understand that we I, i'm trying to underscore this command and i have to underscore it i have to keep coming back from every angle because you see religious flesh hates this command religious flesh despises this command it sees it as an impossible ideal. It sees it as totally other than the self for self flesh. And even though flesh now coated with religion loves itself. And this kind of love that pours through Jesus, through the Spirit into us and out through us is obnoxious to the flesh. It cannot imagine a life that is directed by the Holy Spirit. And so, at its best, when the flesh takes this seriously, which isn't often, but if it takes it seriously, then it will be always in the context of your constant rededications and struggles to try to do this. Because they cannot imagine a free fall into grace and discovering the Holy Spirit as the source. It has substituted this for dead morality. You know, piety. So, what, what is it they told you when you first went to the church? You've got to read your Bible and pray every day. You've got to go to church and do all that. Um, volunteer for things. Well, yeah, that, that's okay. But why not come to the heart of the matter? Love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's where the heart of it is. It isn't getting Sunday school pins from memorizing scripture. It, it isn't that I'm involved in everything that's happening in the church and a bit more too. No, all that will find its place. But at the heart of it, the very beating heart it's not a dead morality. It is the living Holy Spirit reproducing in me the love of Jesus. <clears throat> it's not a mere piety of, of behavioral laws. It's, it's the Spirit of God that is causing the impossible to the flesh. Now through putting the flesh to death at the cross, the new possible the new normal of Jesus Christ living his life in me. The flesh far prefers 
to study. The flesh would prefer to be in a Bible study to talk about Jesus rather than to know him actually communicating his life within me, you see. But actually, the flesh replaces this command with all manner of frivolous nonsense. And I I say that, I, I carefully use that term, it's frivolous. When you consider the enormity of this command, love one another as I have loved you, and it's by this that all men shall know that you're my disciples. By this, this is your mark. This is what makes you stand out. And and I, my culture, and I know it's been the culture of many of you, that they shall know you're my disciples because you don't smoke, because you don't drink alcohol, you know. Well, that's really neither here nor there. Jesus said this, and we say that. And, And I have talked for hours with pastors about this. You know, the... You, you can't be a deacon in their church if you, you smoke or drink. Well, yeah, okay, okay. But the fact is, which I've challenged so many pastors, can you be a deacon in the church if you gossip, if you're slanderous, if you are unforgiving? You know, can, can I be a deacon in your church if the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in my life? And And do you know how many of those pastors are... They get all flummoxed. They, they don't know what to do because that's never occurred to them. To them, it's all about outward physical stuff. And, and yes, their deacons are the slanderers and the gossipers and they are those who hold malice and unforgiveness and bitterness and the rest of it. And that's why the churches are falling apart and that's why the world says we're hypocrites. And Jesus said they had a right to because he said by this... The fact that you have a community of persons who love one another as Jesus is loving us. That's how they'll know that you are my disciples. Well, let me say this. All the resources of the Holy Spirit are now in you. You now live in the gift of God. Get used to it. You didn't earn it. The word deserve doesn't even come on the table. You are the recipient of the gift of God. And in that gift you live. And in living in the gift of God. You are living in a realm that is impossible to the flesh. And that is what happens when you awaken and respond and align to Jesus and all he has done and the Holy Spirit is the one who's at work in you and with you, upon you, to bring this all to pass in your life. So, please, and it might take a week, a month, to change your attitude and expectancy to recognize the Holy Spirit is in me. He's my friend. Start getting to know him. Start recognizing there's not a moment in life where this doesn't apply. I mean, this applies in how you drive on the throughway. Really. 
all of the shouting at other drivers and anger is a well, it's called road rage, like it's a disease or TB or something. No, no. If, if I love, there, there is the goodness, the gentleness, the kindness that, that flows out of our lives. There's a sense that the Holy Spirit fills this car. And, and, and it's not everybody get out of my way, the king of the hill is coming. It's a recognition, a respect for other humans. It changes. It, 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 it changes your whole attitude toward your boss or to your employees. It changes everything you talk about in the water fountain. Changes all relationships in home, in school, in neighborhood. Do you understand? This is radical. This is the Christian life. We go into our world and we say, as Peter did to that man at the gate, such as I have, I give to you. I, you, we are the recipients of the love of God poured out in our hearts. You are. You is. Realize that. As you sit and listen to me tonight, realize this is so. You could never achieve it there's no struggle there's no formula there's no recipe except given to you in jesus christ and as you free fell into him you discover the holy spirit who brought you to that point unbeknownst to you is the one who now is is teaching you this is your guide in this is your coach he is walking you in life and from within he's teaching you to love with the love that he's brought with him. And this is our ID. They know we're disciples. They know we are those who have been united to Jesus. Not, not because we're you know, the champions are proving everybody else is wrong and we're right. I'd rather love my brother than win the argument, you say, that's the point. And it's not because we're weird. They shall know you're my disciples by your weirdness, you know. Oh, bless them. And I really mean that, bless them. I see them at airports, you know. See them in shopping malls sometimes. And they're... The way they dress, totally out of sync with the rest of the world. Usually old thrift store stuff. And, and they've, they've got that pale, pasty look about them. And they're trying to assure you, you're so, they're so holy, they're so holy. You're weird. Living by rules that are all made up by humans, you see. It's not these beautiful commands of God that he's implanted within you, but funny rules of saying you can't even join the human race to laugh and sing together. It's weird behavior. It's no wonder people run away. They think you're odd. By this they shall know you're my disciples because you have a stand against everything. You know, you're against the world. And that's, that's your identity. You're against them. Have you ever thought you would win them just by loving them? Jesus doesn't come on in the Gospels against anything or anybody, really. It's all, 
he comes to love and that in itself places him against the religion of the Pharisees, that's for sure. But, but he sits down with these persons who are the pariahs of society, these who were looked upon as absolute uncleanness, the tax collectors. It, it, and he sat down and told them stories about lost sheep and lost sons and lost coins, told them that they were precious treasures told them they were like a pearl of great price waiting to be found. Jesus would not fit in to this stern, irritable, mean-faced church that's just against everything and everybody. Well, I, I, I pray. I feel I, I've been all over the place tonight. Um... And forgive me for that. It's because the enormity of this subject and seeking to, to put it to you with the importance that Jesus first said it and, and to realize that most of us have never heard a sermon on it um, because, as I say, religious flesh avoids it like the plague. But I pray that you will have heard enough tonight that you will pray with me that the eyes of your heart <clears throat> will be opened, enlightened, to see this that is already yours in Christ, to recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit, the igniter of love within you, and to take him seriously, to listen to him, and to let him be your teacher, your coach in this way of love. And now the blessing of God who is unlimited, almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now bless you with this radical opening of the eyes to see with great clarity and plainness the love of God is poured out in your heart and to find in the Holy Spirit the power to bring life into alignment with that. So it is, I bless you. And it shall be through Jesus Christ our Lord.